Right. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Let's start with prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Lord. We turn our faces towards your face, Father. We ask for your blessing. That you would be gracious to us. And shine your face upon us and mark us with your name. Which is the name above all names, the name to which all knee bends. Yeshua Mashiach. Jesus, Jesus, our Savior, Emmanuel, God, who is with us. We bless you, Lord, and we just ask you to be with us as we talk about you. And we desire to give you glory and worship you and adore you and serve you. And we just ask you that you would open our minds Consecrate us in the truth, which is your word. Your word is truth. We ask you to just pour your spirit over us, Father, Spirit of the Father, Spirit of the Son, that our minds would be open to whatever you want to share with us and have us understand, that our hearts would be open. Help us to prepare our hearts for your flame of love. And we just thank you for this precious time of fellowship and that you would bless this recording as well for whoever's going to listen to it at some point. You would bless my voice with graces of healing and wisdom and whatever it is, Lord, you'd like to use my voice for. My mind, I consecrate my mind to you, Holy Spirit. And invite you to come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. And I just would like to bind up in your holy name, Lord Jesus, by your infinite mercy, the power of your blood, any kind of demonic entity, a hundred miles in every direction that would be attempting to confuse, to divide, to confound, to cause any kind of fear or confusion in, in each of us or amongst us. And we just ask you, St. Michael, St. Raphael, St. Gabriel, to come with our guardian angels and minister to us for the greater glory of God and protection. We pull upon ourselves the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Our loins are girded in truth and our feet are shod in the way of peace. We carry the shield of our faith in our left hand to protect us and the sword of the Holy Spirit, the word of God in our right hand to defend us. Christ be above us, Christ beneath us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ on our right, Christ on our left, Christ within us. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of Christ. May your salvation, O Lord, be always and forever with us. And lastly, I place the mantle of Mary, the cloak of St. Joseph, the shield of St. Michael, the wings of the Holy Spirit, and the most precious blood of Jesus upon this gathering. 
in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's kind of my morning prayer, sort of just covering general. At some point, um, sort of little housekeeping thoughts, make sure that we, we've talked about maybe trying to do a roster somewhere here that we can, you know, I can have your emails and you can have mine, my phone number, so we can stay in touch. Um, you know, there's so, so much to share. And um, our gracious host and hostess, I hope maybe we'll permit, you know, maybe we can do more of this in the spring or in the summer and and gather because there's just, there's really a, um, literally in my case, there's 20 years of transmitting <laughs> that I would love to do and just pour out because it sure isn't for me. Um, all of this wisdom that has poured in, been poured into me since, um, well, actively that I'm aware of since uh, January the 13th, 2004. Is so I just had my 20th anniversary <laughs> of starting this upwelling of want needing to write and and trying to discern how to share all of these incredible things. Um, so let's remember, I hope to get organized so we can stay in touch. And I am based in Texas most of the time. I go regularly to France, but sort of um, just periodic trips where I'll spend. I know I'll be there in May. Um, we're organizing a very important um, sort of Joshua procession in three dioceses that basically is the front line of this battle for France. So um, we're doing a Eucharistic Marian procession just like in the Old Testament they would do with the Arch, Ark of the Covenant. And it's the Diocese of Le Mans, Laval, and Angers, and um, asking the Lord to really protect and bless this very specific zone of France. And that's going to happen on Ascension Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, and the three bishops have said, yes, there'll be horse-drawn carriages carrying the Most Blessed Sacrament, and then procession from each of the cathedra. Cathedral of Angers, Le Mans, and Laval, and all converging on a Marian shrine called Our Lady of the Oak, which was a Marian apparition to a priest, Father James Burel, in, believe it or not, 1493, year after Columbus sailed the sea and discovered America, 1492. So we're, you know, this is this huge project that um, I know I'll be over there in the spring, like in May, and which gives me, reminds me of the importance of France, the eldest daughter of the church. That's another talk in another day. And also a call if anyone would ever be interested and could give me 10 or 12 days, 12 would be awesome of your life. I would like to present to you the M of Mary because the, um, as a pilgrimage to France specifically, um, Our Lady's six formal and official church approved Apparitions form a seal, an M, you know, just like the royal signet ring used to sign a letter with a wax seal with your, you know, emblem, your family seal. Well, Our Lady has branded France with an M. Her apparitions form literally an M on France. And somebody realized that in the 90s in this right at the time when all the Internet was starting, you know, around 98, at least that's when we all started to get this email. Someone discovered or put it out there on the internet that when you get the perspective and come up in the throne room, you'll discover that it's an M. 
starting from Lourdes, going to Pontmain, Pelvoisin, the Rue du Bac, Miraculous Meadow, La Salette, and Los. It's an M. And so it's a fantastic way to visit. France is just covered and covered and covered in apparitions and, and incredible hidden graces. It's just amazing. So if anyone would like me to organize that, I did done it a couple times. I'm going to be doing one for the Diocese of Austin in Texas. Um, and it's just a great way to visit France in a complete pilgrimage and just pray over France, you know, and in a minivan and just pray the rosary. And um, every time I've done it, I've had the people in the vans receive a powerful conviction to pray for France, to intercede for France. Because France, as the eldest daughter, will be leading the restoration of the church. You know, the king, the holy king and the holy pope. And so this is an important part. France will play a very important role, as will the United States of America, in this restoration process. But the more building of bridges we can do between France and, and America, it's, um, it's historic and it's apparently covenant. God seems to really want it. So that's a big, big parenthesis of introduction that doesn't have anything to do with our subject today, but I guess it does in a way. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bridge what we talked about yesterday. Um, when I give these talks, I feel like as a teacher or transmitter, it's, um, I think my, my primary vocation really is to give you um sort of underlying God's patterns, some of his principles, so that you can go into scripture and begin to see what he's up to and the way he works. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he is the fullness of that unity, tranquility, stability, serenity, which we read about um, in the prophetic book of Zechariah. All of these fours. And it's a great contemplation, maybe someday a fun exercise when you're in front of the Blessed Sacrament, just to seek out all the fours you can think of. Um, I'm thinking, for example, in natural childbirth, there's four stages. Um, we spoke yesterday about the, the four Passovers in the Bible, uh, ours being the fourth, the, the, you know, the, the very final. Um, the most perfect third Passover is Jesus Christ on Mount Calvary. The first being the Passover of the Red Sea. The second over the Jordan with Joshua. Remember, we talked about these things into the promised land. And if you study each of, the, each of those Passovers and then look at these Exodus and the four sentences that are recalled in God's promise to us and the four cups of wine that are lifted up in the Seder Passover meal and the four prayers at consecration at the Mass, and the four corners, remember in that Acts of the Apostles where Peter has a vision and he's trying to understand about what is korban, what is, you know, godly and ungodly in food. You know, if you remember that, there's, he has this sort of sheet thing that comes out. So there's four corners of creation and all of these fours. Four um, yeah. Four gospels. Four gospels. It's just endless, endless, endless. Um, four marks of the kingdom. You know, what are the four signs that the kingdom God of God is present? I'll just throw them out because we'll be experiencing this at some point in our lives. We have to really expand our faith um, to that level. The four marks of the kingdom is raise the dead, cleanse lepers, heal the sick, and cast out demons. That's just par for the course when we're living in the kingdom. We'll see those things all the time. 
all the time. So our faith really needs to come up to that level where God can act. Um, absolutely. So there's many, many fours, you know, the four marks. Our church is one, holy, Catholic, apostolic. You know, think of these endless fours. It's, it's a really fun exercise. Raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, and heal the sick. And of course, cleanse lepers, you know, there's there's going to be so many levels of understanding. There's the literal medical understanding of it. But what was a leper in, in certainly even today, there's lepers everywhere, right? It's the whole idea of you are tossed out of society. We are, we're, we're the new lepers, you know? Getting canceled is, is what it feels like to be a leper, you know? You're canceled from your job. You're canceled from your family, what, you know, just endless. So that's, it is a form of leprosy. Because the symptom of leprosy is is that you are placed outside of your social core, right? You're, you're kicked out of wherever you live. And so that is a form of leprosy. So there are all these fours. And the one I just wanted to kind of start with today for our next phase of talking, of discussion, discussion are these four pillars that hold up the world. These four worldly pillars. So I've put them at the bottom of my drawing, and I don't think y'all can probably see, so I'll just sort of, you know, say them. Um, so Zechariah speaks of chapter 2 and 1, the early part of Zechariah, unity, stability, tranquility, and serenity. I'm going to just erase as I go, if that's okay. We need our board for all kinds of other things. Four Passovers, four cups of the Seder. The four promises of Exodus 6. The four parts of the Mass. Take, bless, break, eat. Now those are all things you, we can contemplate in as we go to adoration. The four petitions of the consecration said. And here are the four pillars of the world that I want to start with today. Because it's what will be... Their falling will be what causes this birthing process to start. Um, so there's four pillars that we need to conceive of that hold up our worldly environment. A social pillar. What's in the social pillar? Well, anything that draws people together, any, any activity that you do that you share with other people, any kind of entertainment, leisure, any kind of educational, all schools would be under the social pillar. All hospitals are under the social pillar. Anything, anything sports, anything entertainment, anything philanthropic, any clubs, anything that causes us to associate in society with one another, that draws us together to share common interests, common. So under the social pillar is lots and lots of things you could place. But certainly predominantly for us, where we're really starting to see problems, Big times, massive cracks in that pillar, um, full on porous with holes in it everywhere. And that's what the revelation is about, is Our Lady is showing us what's all those cracks in the pillar of this of social pillar. So we're seeing what's happening in our schools. We're hearing what's happening in our schools. Um, 
all I am hearing about, just because I have contact with Africa more than Asia, I don't know anything about India or Asia. I wish I did, but I don't. And um, certainly in Europe, you know, all of the infiltration of thought, an absolute ungodly concepts are coming into our educational system. And sooner and sooner and sooner, the earlier, um, that's part of an entire enormous communistic, Masonic, occultic, well, it's just common sense, too. If you want to change society, you get to the children as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, pre-elementary, if it's possible. You know, you get them learning, having these reflexes in their frame of reference. You know, it's right. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's just common sense. That's how we educate. You know, what is that we educate? What is, you know, to educate, to form? So the enemy knows that, of course. So they're, you know, that social pillar, you know, we've had all this woke thing coming on. Um you know, it's, it's endless examples. We don't need to belabor it, but you know, what God is asking us is open your eyes and see what's happening inside this society or social pillar. And what does it include? You know, for heaven's sakes, the medical world, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, pro-life and, and abortion. Well, I'm, I would like to raise the red flag of alarm of six, 10 alarm fire of euthanasia. Um, that hasn't hit the shores of America it has in Canada pretty strong, but wow, if you lived in Europe, you would be, you would be shocked at the stories of triage that you hear in hospitals, the stories of, you know, dignified dying and assisted suicide. And wow, it's, it's, it's about to be enthroned in the entire European parliament sometime this spring. It's slated for, I think even March, it's just around the corner, you know, that it's actually part of human rights. The president of France is trying to put it in there and thrown it as one of the literally in the rights of mankind is the right to die dig with dignity, the right to choose your moment of death, you know? So, I mean, thousands of Holland is one of, is kind of the epicenter apparently for just the sheer numbers in Europe, you know, it's incredible. So, you know, we're already seeing it, but right now, um, you know, just be awake that this is the next battle zone specifically there. So the social pillar is pretty evident and that's, you know, we can look in the education and medical world, it's it's endless. Um, high tech, AI, you know, things like that. Um, so then the next pillar is going to be finance. Um, I should have said that the first pillar because that will be the first pillar that crumbles. You can certainly, everybody knows about that financial pillar. We've heard about the, you know, ruling families we've learned that the federal reserve is not in even an institution at all. It's actually just a handful of families. <laughs> it's just folks that came up with something that sounded like it was an institutional sort of neutral organization entity. Well, it's not, it's, it's just super powerful people that have, you know, that are worshiping mammon and that have their very high power, you know, it's for, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's only probably, I don't, just a handful of banks in the world, you know, your, your etiquette, your label may on your checkbook may say somebody's name or something small, but it's all an enormous system that, um, that is in, in, in biblical terms referred to as Babylon. It is the horror of this entire banking system is the horror of Babylon. And so according to sacred scripture in the book of revelation, chapter 18, What's when that financial pillar, when that that banking pillar crashes, what's it going to look like? Well, you've got it in technicolor if you want to read chapter 18 of Revelation of St. John. The fall of Babylon. 
It's very impressive. Um, it's, but it's very clear language, very pick, very very strong imagery in 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 that um, in that scene. At the moment when God tells this angel to drop this millstone in the ocean, and the millstone reverberates, as it, any large object thrown into a pool of water would. In the Bible, the sea is the symbol for commerce, trade, right? So all that rules our finance and banking. So at some point, God the Father will tell, give the signal to this angel that will drop this millstone. And we will see an absolute banking collapse. Nothing like 2008, nothing like 1929. This one will be, you know, all over the world and no one will be able to pick up the pieces from it except this um, one world economy, God will permit this time. Um, we're already reading about it, this digital economy. We're already hearing about it. What will it look like? But this first pillar, this financial pillar has to fall. And it will be the first thing, according to the Bible, in the chronology of the fours to fall. Oops. Yes. Session in any kind of find the mute button. <laughs> yeah, any kind of uh, technological vexation that we're up against, and we thank you, our holy and beautiful brother Carlo Acutis Orgronovis. Thank you. Um, so there are these pillars: the social pillar, the financial pillar. The pillar of governance. When we look at sacred scripture, there is a very specific model, and it's the uni unity of a temporal head and a spiritual head. And in sacred scripture, God's model of governance, once we get to heaven, we'll understand it, is the priest and the king. That is what is the biblical model of governance, is it's a monarchy. <laughs> it's uh, the priest and the king ruling together, hand in hand. The temporal and the spiritual authority, hand in hand, in perfect tandem. And that will be restored at some point on our history. So we have this governance, and I don't know of a place on earth where people are happy with their governance. It's been absolutely, it's, it's clearly, it's, it's amusing now to us and, you know, horrendous, but we see that there's just no one in power. There's no governance. There's not, democracy's just been shattered. I don't even know if y'all are aware to what degree folks out there are trying to literally dismantle our constitution. And I don't know when the last time you read the constitution, go read it again. It, it's one holy document. Those folks were something else. They were amazing. Their inspiration was from God. It's a really godly thing. I happened to be in a museum in New York because my son has moved there. We went not long ago, and there's one of the windows where the document is. And you read it, and you're just, it's very moving because it's really God's plan for, for governance, you know, human governance in the sense of the, this concept of, of America and how we could rule with godly, you know, prayerful people. and. I guess is sort of a subset of, of his plan of, you know, holy leaders that are spiritual and temporal. So this governance pillar is pretty obvious to all of us at what 
point, it is rotten as well. And we come to the fourth pillar, so social, financial, governance. And the fourth pillar is the most painful for us because it's our bride and our mother, the church, religion. So there's all religions, and they're, they're all organized. We talked about the religious spirit yesterday and that legalistic you know, approach. But there's buildings, there's institutions. But the one that is the most powerful, most important, and very unique, there's not another institution like it on earth, is the Universal Catholic Church, present in every country. You know, we're, we're everywhere. And of course, because Satan is a good strategist, he knows that. And that's why he clearly focused his penetration of minions and enemy forces within the church. And it's extraordinarily painful because that's the last place you want to see the demonic. But in case you haven't noticed, I regret to inform you that our church, as St. Paul, St. Paul, Pope Paul VI, uh, said in 1965 at the close of Vatican II. Apparently that was a very, very dramatic. I, I wonder if it's recorded and we could watch it on video. It must have been quite a scene that December of high tension at the closing of Vatican II in 1965. And that's the evening. It, it, I think it was a late afternoon, early evening gathering. And Paul VI was really convicted about the importance of declaring Mary, Our Lady, as mother of the church and, the, and her maternity and her maternal role. And um, there apparently was quite a battle. And that is what caused him to declare, oof, the smoke of Satan is inside the church. And we all know, because we all have fireplaces, there is no smoke without fire. So there's something you know that's been going on for quite a, a while. And we're seeing that infiltration. Um, what's his name? Uh, Taylor Marshall has a book to that name. Um, I know there's lots of books that people have written over the, over the past you know, 40, 50 years about this infiltration. Uh, gosh, Malachi Martin, there's the AA 1025 book. I mean, it's it, uh, Bella Dodds witnessing in the, in the Congress. It's, it's fact that... Um, Thousands of priests that who were communists literally penetrated our seminaries. It was an infiltrated, I mean, highly organized. This is a war, you know, with with strategy. You know, so we need to kind of wake up and and not be quite so naive of you know how well organized this bringing this pillar down is, and the process of infiltration of all four pillars. But the main and most important thing is that God is in control. He obviously has understood and watched over 6,000 years. But for us, for the church, for the past 2,000, he's clearly witnessed what pain in his father's heart. Can you imagine <laughs> what heaven knows that we don't know about that revealing and unveiling? Um, that's going to have to happen in these four pillars, but none will hurt more than seeing it, the revelation happening inside the church. That's clear because that's, you know, we expect it in finance. We expect it in the social pillar. We expect it in governance, but we sure don't want to see it in, in our church. And that is why we're in this very strange moment here, even in our diocesan church structures, 
um, the Lord once gave me a, a vision of all of these beautiful churches, like cathedrals with stained glass windows and the, the lights were out and you couldn't see the colors of the windows anymore. It was just black windows, black, black, darkness, darkness, darkness. And I asked what, what I was, what I was looking at, what he was showing me. And he said, I'm this, this, this will happen. The, the churches will all be closed. The lights will be out. There won't be light shining from within the church. Doesn't I say closed? He didn't say that, but because the Antichrist will certainly also take over within certain of those big fancy churches um, as venues for the one world religion. So, you know, when the lights no longer shine, that means what it, it means, that light of truth, that light of Christ. If there's not light within the church, the church is still standing, but it's dark. You know, so think about what that would look like. And we've already sort of the Lord's permitted us in divine providence with the whole COVID scene. In France, our churches were closed like locked. You couldn't even go inside to pray in front of the tabernacle for almost a year. And depending upon where it was, Canada, Australia was the same. Ireland was practically two years. It was just really long in Ireland, the, the closing of the churches. Um, so this concept of the four pillars coming down is necessary and in hebrew spirituality it's called shemitah reset it's phenomenal to what degree and that's why we need as good warriors to be paying attention to the language that the enemy uses you know that's what is known in warfare as reconnaissance you know we we, we used to send u2s a priest friend of mine was actually in one of those u2s because he spoke russian you know father um, father jim evans is in austin and he's now 80 ish and he flew the U-2s listening to Russia. You know, they, they it's strategically, you need to know what your enemy's doing. And that's why we talked about semantics yesterday and words. And I was encouraging all of us to, to be really attentive to the words you hear, the language you hear, um, the rhetoric you hear, the propaganda you hear, and push back against that with truth. Just on the level of words alone, language alone. Um, but we certainly um, we certainly hear it, hear it and see it all over the place. But to know your enemy is to know that there are these plans and this reset. Well, I think everybody's heard about Klaus Schwab. Everybody's heard about the World Economic Forum. I have the 52-point plan on, um, on the slide on my computer for the entire resets, 52, point, 50, 52 points. One of those points is a thing called COVID, just mm -hmm. one of them. And this is how they plan to do this reset. Well, in Hebrew spirituality, our Jewish brothers and sisters, they do it every single year at Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Yom Kippur. So reset just means you erase that debt. You erase any debt that you have with someone. If there's a tension you have with anyone, you, you're, you're constantly every year trying to clear off the slate and be in a good place with your family members, your friends, your colleagues, etc. And then every seven years is a whole other level of Shemitah that in the Jewish tradition, you literally can forgive debts, like financial debts, like big ones, you know, in some cases. People are encouraged to forgive that debt. Um, Shemitah is God's reset. And he sees the four pillars and he intends to bring those pillars down. But what is key, because our God is a good and gracious God, he's not doing a demolition job on the pillars. He's doing a deconstruction job. 
So I want you to think about the difference between to demolish and to deconstruct. And I want you to understand that God, even though he plans to deconstruct the pillars, it's already happening. We, we see it. Yesterday, we talked about the lamina protein that biologically, physiologically, literally holds us together on a cell level. And it's in the shape of a cross. Well, God is permitting this deconstruction because when we read Colossians, you remember the canticle of Colossians, the very first beginning of the book of, Col of the Colossians, that Saint, the letter that St. Paul wrote to Colossus. He says, Christ holds all things together. His preeminence of Christ. It's a really beautiful reading to go back to. Well, if Christ is being thrown out and the cross is being thrown out, of course, everything's just going to just thread away like anyone who knits. You know, when you pull the wrong thread, you know, the dominoes, it just deconstructs. But God is in control of the timing of this reset, this Shemitah. Use the Hebrew word, for heaven's sakes. Oh, you know, but it is a reset. But it's really interesting. We need to know what Mr. Schwab and his and his buddies of Davos, um, their plan is for it to just, you know, crash in a really violent way or a sudden way. But God is already rebuilding structures that you can't see. We can't see them. But actually we can. So that when these four pillars fall, God's godly pillars will already be there. For example, the economic financial pillar. Tomorrow you're locked out of your bank account. You can't access it anymore. Already on this place, just right here in this neighborhood, is practiced a thing older than the world called barter. Everybody, you all have talents and skills you can trade. My son is doing it in his little neighborhood in the Loire Valley. He trades, I was telling Michael yesterday, he trades two hours of piano lessons for a neighbor who owns an amazing chainsaw and ropes and loves to climb trees. And my son has tons of trees. He needs the branches pruned. So the guy comes and gets two hours of piano lessons and in exchange gives John two hours of his tree trimming. It's awesome. I mean, think of all the, be, be creative. Start going into that, pray into that. As our Protestant brothers and sisters would say, pray into that, go into that flow of what are you going to barter? What knowledge do you have? Um, what can you do in exchange for food? What services? You know, I'm like, I, I'm great for vacuuming, mopping. You know, I don't know how to do that. many. You think of the things you know how to do. And how will you do, what will this new divine economy? When you go into prayer on these four pillars, because I'm an educator, I've been praying through and inside this vision of what is God's vision for education? What is a God? What is God's school look like? What is God's? We will probably won't even need hospitals moving forward, but we'll always need some form of schooling and forming of our youth. What's that going to look like? Um, so already, you know, financial bartering. What will that look like? Will we have money? Will we have any kind? I don't think so. I do know just because I used to love to study about Native, Native Indians in America. They had something called wampum. Well, wampum was pretty seashells and lovely little rocks. Anything that you thought was beautiful. Because there is truth and beauty, you know? 
It might be, who knows what it might be. It might be the sweaters you knit is your wampum. You know, it's, but we need to be thinking about that, that, that situation of God's economy of trading and commerce that is godly commerce. And it's never going to be triangular. God doesn't, yes, the Blessed Trinity is often depicted in art in a triangle, but the triangulation is predominantly a demonic structure, meaning a wholesale, a middleman. The cross, it's direct. You'll be trading directly. There's not a middleman between Michael and the Amish. He doesn't go over to somebody's strip mall and say, can I speak to an Amish person? No, it's direct. It's in the form of the cross. So this bartering and exchange will be direct, not triangular, you know. And so what we're used to, that's all our grocery system, our food chain. Everything we have has, you go through a middleman, multiple middlemen who take a markup, a markup, a markup. I mean, wow, godly, godly commerce is so different than anything that we have today. So yes, spend time in those four pillars instead of being terrified that they're coming down. To the contrary, we talked about the fourth cup of praise. Give him praise and glory that he's deconstructing these pillars. They've got to be. They're rotten to the core. They're worse than filled with mold and, and you know, termites um, and cracks. They're a mess. You know, Paul 6, how prophetic when he said, that, boy, there's smoke in, that, in this pillar. There's something going on. So all four pillars must come down. God is permitting them to deconstruct, to unravel. That's what the unveiling is about. Apocalypsis. Our mother is permitting. That was a word I had really strong come in on, on January the 1st of 2024. This is the year of the revelation. And I believe that Our Lady is going, because she is Our Lady of Apocalypse, Our Lady of the revelation of the unveiling, right? Apocalypsis, the unveiling of the bride. And it's going to be super painful when we discover and hear what's been going on inside the religion. It's going to be, it's going to be, Heartbreaking, especially for those who, like our priests and consecrated religious, who are particularly given to this bride. But this is our mother. Remember the kid in all those movies? That was the, the worst cut you could give to a person is your mother is a huh, right? That criticism of our mother. That's the essence of who we are. We're gonna hear it, we're gonna see it. And so understand that God is permitting it on his timing. This unveiling, this revealing, what? We talked yesterday, for those who maybe were not here, we talked about our binding, our connecting, what ties us, what binds us, what links us horizontally to each other and vertically to God. So what kind of covenant and what kind of relationship am I in with those four pillars? It is high time for us to check. What's my relationship with the social pillar? Am I prepared to walk away from that pillar when it crumbles without a nervous breakdown? Think about all the people you know that whose children are in school schools that don't homeschool and they couldn't fathom because they love their school and they trust their school. Absolutely. Think of all the people that walk into, please don't be offended. My physician's brother and sister, all the people that walk into hospitals with high expectations that it's going to function that it's going to be safe. Well, that's where people are getting super sick today is in hospitals, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've already written it into my will and explained it to my sons. Don't ever take me to a hospital. Just let me, 
I mean, under, and I proclaim it here now. I mean, don't, please, I don't want to go to a hospital. I would rather you just pray with me and let God take care of it and the Eucharist and the, you know, hopefully I could have the sacrament of the sick. Um, you know, so our, what is my relationship with these, with these pillars? What is my relationship with banking? Yes, I have a bank account. I have two banks I work with. Yes, I actually inherited a stock portfolio. I look at those numbers every month. <sighs> Surrender. Because one day I might hear on the news that we're moving into the digital economy and my bank accounts are no longer in dollars. They're in IBUs, international banking units. Oh, an IBU. Oh, so my $25,000 is now 100 IBUs? Really? That's all I have left? Yeah. Who set this valorization? Who made the exchange rate change between dollars and IBUs? Huh. Good question. It's probably the same families that run everything. Yeah, it's arbitrary, but you're going to be shocked that your bank account of 100,000 went to, I don't know, 200 IBUs. But it will go into an international banking form at some point, at which you can only access it if you've got your QR code. And your QR code, you've only got if you're fully vaccinated and fully and fully and fully in XYZ. That is the mark. Blessed Mother, has anyone heard of the Mary Movement of Priests? That's the prayer that I've been praying at the beginning. Come by means of the powerful intercession of the American Heart of Mary. So the Mary Movement Priest was uh, an Italian mm -hmm. priest that Our Lady spoke to for roughly 30 years. Uh, Don Stefano Golbi. And there, he has a book of these messages that are awesome. And one of the things Our Lady explains is the mark on the hand and the head means all that you think will be controlled and all that your work, what you do with your hands. So it's not necessarily literally some kind of a, an imprint or an implant on your head or your hand. It might be. We're already seeing that, you know, with nanotechnology can easily, easily do that. Apparently these very small injected implants, it's not surgical, just an injection. Apparently nanotechnology nanotechnology was in the COVID, you know, is, is, it's, they've researched this stuff since just after World War II, you know, so it's almost, this technology folks is a hundred years old. This is what I'm talking about. You know, Japan is and the UK or some of the two, but especially Japan is one of the ancient specialists of nanotechnology. It's incredible. But anyway, so these, that's what we need to be doing is checking our, our relationship. Am I just, Clinging to it, am I in covenant, practically even spiritually, with my bank account? You know, there's a demon in there called Mammon. It's real. There's people that are just absolutely hanging on their, you know, bank accounts. But we have to constantly surrender that. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Every, you know, any clinging that we're doing to anything that's not godly and God's pillars. I once received in a, in, a, in, a, in a word that was just beautiful, and I still am unpacking it probably all the rest of the days of my life. God's pillars are, are you ready? Write it down. God's pillars are mercy, justice, grace. Of course, I'm forgetting the fourth. So mercy and justice, grace, and it'll come to me in a, in a bit. 
Don't don't let me forget to tell you what they are. See, grace and mercy, justice and truth. Or the fourth is truth. The fourth, I guess. But God has pillars too, and He's He's going to you know restruct, reconstruct, and rebuild, and is already rebuilding in places exactly like this. He is rebuilding. And yesterday I was speaking about the family, the church, the domestic church, which is families, and the monastic church, which is our consecrated religious, and that God will be rebuilding through these two bases, so to speak. And he's already rebuilding. We may not perceive it unless we're in contact with a place like this, the work he's doing to rebuild already structurally. You know, Michael showed me around this property. It is phenomenal the amount of hours of work that have gone into this creating of this place, the generation of this place. It's just phenomenal. And you can be positive that it's happening all over the world. Who knows how many places like this there are? Um, what are we going to call them? Well, here's called Eden Redux. The place that I go to and live semi-near is called Sanctus Ranch in Texas, Central Texas. Um, there's spots all over the place. Where is this idea of when these pillars come down, where are we going to go? And how will we continue our life? I've heard people say, well, that's not biblical, the idea of running away. Well, God is Alpha Omega. He says in Genesis chapter 19, when this hour of justice to bring down these four pillars, what happens? I love this scene in Genesis 18, Abraham intercedes. And it's that phenomenal passage that we read every few years that is almost amusing. In which Abraham is speaking to God about justice. And he says, if there's 30 people in the town, well, what if there's 20? How about 10? Please don't get mad at me, but what about five? You know, and that incredible negotiating that Abraham does, well, it ends up saving his sister and brother-in-law's hide, absolutely, in the next chapter, chapter 19. We hear about God is just ready to let the justice fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, which is our entire world at this point. And what do we learn? That these three angels, the Blessed Trinity, that's just left Abraham's, Come on over to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they knock on door, the door of Lot, who eventually lets them in after some in, insisting. And they announce to Lot that they're coming to take him to a place of safety. Zoar, Z-O-A-R. And Lot is like, oh, I'm just too old. I, I can't move. I I. And they're like, you need, you need to follow us. You need, ain't, these are angels, right? This is, I do know of one priest that is openly says this, and I'm hearing it more and more in the prophetic world that people are talking about, follow your angel. You know, uh, Father, uh, this Canadian priest, Michel Rodrigue, speaks of your angel will come to you with some form of light, like a, a torch, and you're to follow, maybe you'll just see a light. I, literally, I, I don't know what it would, would look like. But people will come to a place like this from their homes. Um, and people can get concerned, well, how will I get there? 
Well, let's go to Acts the Apostles. What would that look like if an angel came and got you and took you to a refuge? Go into the Acts of the Apostles, that phenomenal scene when Peter's in jail because he's been preaching. And his angel comes in the middle of the night inside the prison cell where there's, I don't know, 30 people maybe. Can't remember. Quite a few. And it's so cute. He says to Peter, he says, put on your coat and your sandals. It's cold out. <laughs> Isn't that a sweet thought? They're amazing. Put on your, your coat, your cloak and your sandals because we are good. We're leaving. So angels are part of God's creation and angels don't have bodies. Same applies to demons, fallen angels. They don't have bodies, right? So that means they don't have to, they're not bound by natural law, stuff like time, stuff like space, stuff like matter. So when your angel wraps himself around you, we get to suddenly be suspended of natural law, those constraints like our body. That means an angel travels in the space and time of a thought. Probably less than a nanosecond. I don't know. So what happens to Peter that particular evening when he's getting set free from, from prison, remember? The angel comes. It doesn't say in scripture that he wraps himself, but I try to picture what that would look like, my angel wrapping himself around me. And where do they go? How do they get out of prison? Do they take the door? Do they take a window? No, they go through a wall. Because angels don't matter, doesn't matter for an angel. And then they popped up in the middle of a plaza in front of the synagogue preaching. I don't know. Was that several hundred or, you know, thousand yards away? I, I don't know. But you're, you, where is my refuge? Your refuge, you, you know, might be here, but it could also be quite far away. Might be in Wyoming, wherever God is planned for you to be. But your angel can take you in a nanosecond across all time and space with no problem. What is the barrier here? What's our problem? Our Lord has said it over and over in the word. It's our faith. Oh, if our faith were stronger. So faith so that God can act, that's key for us to really start thinking out of the box as we begin to go into this birth canal and this process a great, great, you know, watching the pillars crumble because right now we kind of see it, the writing on the wall, as it says in Daniel. We can see that they're going to get going to crumble, crumble. We don't know when. And we're supposed to be sort of separating ourselves and checking our, you know, my, my bondage and my binding with all of those four pillars, including the church, including the church, including our parishes. Ouch, 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 ouch. You know, God's going to be providing. And we'll be talking this afternoon on ways to get through this storm if and when, not if, but when our churches we no longer have access to and the sacramental life we do not have access to. How can we survive in uh, and abide in the Lord outside of that if we don't have the blessing of having a priest near us, with us? Um, but for us to, to, to begin to fathom that we will be in domestic churches, we'll be in a different environment other than our parish. And that is something that we need to, probably everybody's heard about Kubler-Ross, stages of grieving. If you haven't, ask somebody who's nodding their head. <laughs> yeah. 
because it's amazing, you know, this, the denial, the anger, the grieving, and then the acceptance. Guess what? There's four stages, surprise, to grieving as well. You know, it's amazing, all these fours, right, of the, of the process. Because God organizes process. Engineers would agree, perhaps, some of it. It tends to be in these four stages. It's amazing. Process is in four stages in God's world. And then you just see it everywhere over and over and over. And that includes, you know, birthing and that includes where we're headed And grieving has four stages. So, you know, that rejection, that anger, you know, is stage two. The first is denial. Oh no, everything's great. My church is fine. Nothing wrong with my church. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> but be prepared. You know, we're already seeing that. And that is, that is worthy of our grieving and our personal grieving, but let us grieve for God because he's, you know, this is his church. This is, <laughs> we need to also console the heart of Jesus. When you go to adoration, you know, as a whiny bucket, which I do all the time, but also remember to go and, and in reparation, you know, that you're, you're saying, Lord, I am really, I want to worship you for all of, all of the religious or the priests or my brothers and sisters that don't worship you. You know, that was the, that's, that is the first lesson of Fatima, right? For an entire year, the angel visited the kids and taught them the angel's prayers. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you, and I beg pardon. It's reparation for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. And there's a second prayer to the Blessed Trinity that's really calling on the precious blood of Jesus, a major act of reparation. Reparation has to be part of our prayer life. It has to be a part of our, our DNA as, as Catholics because God is, for, is, is offended. Highly, highly, highly. Wow. And we know a little bit that we know about Sodom and Gomorrah. We can imagine. Wow. Multiply that by whew, bazillions in today's world. That came out in the news today, by the way, that um, uh, today, this week, um, that there's some archaeologists who have been going through the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they discovered that um, it was some kind of um, an atmospheric extreme heat event that torched everything from about two feet upwards. So anything that was down on the ground level wasn't burnt, but they found the remains of like bodies who are, Everything is torched from kind of waist up. So when the fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, there's there's actual evidence, physical evidence, in the buildings, in all the structures, the stone, the you know whatever skeletons they found. It's incredible. That's you can look that up. I saw that article this week. Um, they've just discovered that yeah, there was some kind of thermonuclear event, atmospheric event that just happened in the air above that space undeniable wow you know so all of that to say that god is in control and he is obviously powerful beyond our fathoming and good and gracious and merciful and that he can easily suspend natural law however and wherever he wants fire that doesn't burn water that doesn't dry you know destroy etc etc all of the matter that we know all the physics we know the functioning of gravity you know, the functioning of time, space, all of that is, is his law. He made it. Of course, he can suspend it in, in a little teeny pod. We saw this in Katrina in southern Louisiana. I had friends that were volunteers and went with mobile and fishes. 
and arrived in these destroyed southern Louisiana towns from the hurricane. And my friend Mary Worley tells me the story of arriving in one particular village where there was one particular standing house that had a beautiful statue of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the front yard. Guess what? They had electricity. They had running water. That is impossible. It's impossible because nowhere in for miles and miles and miles was there any grid of power or water. Everything had been knocked on. And everyone, she said, inside the house was a holy hush. People practically took their shoes off. <laughs> they knew they were on holy ground because they couldn't, they knew they were in the presence of a prodigy. You know, and people got super quiet because they knew that God was there, you know. And that's what happens when the Shekinah glory of God, one of the trans, there's two translations for God's glory. It's Shekinah and Kavod. And in Hebrew, Kavod means await. And when God's presence comes, that's what happens. The weightiness. And if you've ever been in an assembly or if it's ever, it's happened to me one time in my life where Jesus came and visited me as I was praying. And the only place I could go was flat. I went down flat on my face. Kavod, the weightiness of his presence. And, you know, for us to be ready to, to stand, we will see his power. We will see it. We will see these signs of the kingdom moving forward. Because that's what Psalm 91, you know, that the Holy Spirit is telling everyone, read Psalm 91, you know, that the God's wings, the overshadowing. You know, God, yeah, God is glory and light, absolutely. But he's also overshadowing, you know. You know, that's what you read in Genesis, those very first, you know, there was chaos and God's overshadowed. Blessed Mother, when she conceived, she was overshadowed, you know. So it is a weightiness of God's presence that's inexplicable. So let us be ready to imagine, to, you know, in our prayer life, to, you know, if, if, if so that we are welcoming, because that's what it's about in life, right? You know, if we're pushing back and our hearts are closed and we're scared, and we don't believe, just read the Bible. Look how good your father is. Look how powerful he is. Look at just pull out. You know, I love reading the Acts of the Apostles. But one of the most powerful words I ever received was when the father put on my heart, what you will experience is going to look like a fusion, a commingling, like two hands, of the book of Exodus and the Acts of the Apostles. So maybe you'll start your Lent out with going back and rereading Exodus. And look at what our Lord did and brought the people out, those promises and how he rescued them and what that process looked like in Exodus. And then they went into the time of the desert for 40 years to be purified. What were the prodigies? Water from rocks, manna falling from the sky, doves falling from the sky. You know, incredible prodigies um, that, that, that our Lord, multiplication, you know, these are just standard kingdom fare. He is so good. If you don't have your, your you know, your medication when the, your angel comes to get you, it's okay. You're, you're going to get healed. You won't need it anymore. You forgot your glasses. I bet your eyesight gets 20-20 out of the blue. You, let us just trust our, how good, you know, when, when our Lord brings us. You know, running out of supplies. God doesn't need you to stock up pounds and millions of tons of rice. He need, just needs just enough matter to multiply it. Yeah, you need it, maybe a bag of rice, but you know, you don't have to worry about these vast provisions. 
You know, that's not, that's God multiplies. He multiplies everything, anything, but from something, you know, so that's, he's asking us just to have a little bit, even just like our faith. He says, it's okay. Just as long as it's big as a mustard seed, I can work with it. But I'm, you know, our, but our faith needs to be that docile confidence of a child that we've heard all of the saints describe that, you know, let faith, my faith is strong enough. I've been asking for faith in miracles, faith in prodigies. Jesus, may I have your faith? Blessed Mother, can I have faith like yours? You know, put that bar up real nice and high for your, you know, your level of faith. Increase that faith, you know, that faith of just, you know, let, let God act. Faith in the supernatural. Faith in things that you can't explain. You know, that are godly, godly operation. So that is, is, is this process that we're in is stop clinging. Because when you cling to a pillar that's falling, you're going to get hurt. So that is what at this hour we need to check is where am I clinging? Where am I fearful? Um, where am I worried about not being able, you know, to live, to, to, to bear without something. Um, and that's, you know, Lent is a great time to start testing those things. Um, you know, actually practicing with actions, some of the releasing that we might need to do, um, on any level in our houses, um, just in our lives, there's always things that we can let go of. And it might be metaphorically or, you know, emotionally letting go. But that whole release, um, I cannot recommend Don Delino's Serenda Novena enough. There's an excellent recording I'll show. I'll send it to your cell phone if you want it. Some beautiful music that that's somebody with a lovely voice that is saying these nine passages from Don Delino, who, if you've not heard of him, um, Italian um, I think died maybe in the seventies. So relatively recent, um, holy, holy man who, um, had locutions from our Lord, who mainly that's what the main theme was. Let go, let go, just let go, surrender, surrender. Um, those things you're clinging to and cling to me, cling to the cross, cling to me. He's the only way there is no other way. And so, um, I think we need to probably take a little break, but that is, that's this concept of a flow of a process. The four pillars that we have now that seem indispensable that our Lord will, he's already reconstructing each of those pillars in godly terms. Start looking for those, you know, those structures like here that are, you know, new societies. And when people say to us, well, why do you think that you would be or someone or a remnant church would be pulled away from this crumbling world? Again, it's in the first book, in the last book, it's in, I didn't say in Revelation what passage it was, but we have this chapter in, in, in uh, Genesis of chapter 19, which is the justice of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel comes and gets Lot, pulls him out, physically removes him. I think he wouldn't have left otherwise. There's probably folks like that, you know. <laughs> I don't want to leave my house. Well, okay, I'm going to remove you, you know, because God wins. And if he wants you out of there, then you'll leave. <laughs> and so that's what happened to Lot and his family. And, of course, his wife was curious to see what God's justice looks like. And she turns around and becomes the infamous pillar of salt. 
and we spoke what are God's forms of justice. We'll speak a little in a little while, maybe more about that after we'll take a little little coffee break. But um, God's forms has four forms of justice that are biblical. There won't be different ones or new ones, but they will be on a worldwide scale. What will be highly impressive is synchronicity. Right now, we're accustomed to hearing about an earthquake over here and a plague over there and a problem over here. But try to imagine the only time, in, to my awareness, other than the flood and maybe some other events that I'm unaware of. But COVID was unique because it was a simultaneous, synchronistic, world, global event. I was traveling between Europe and America by an incredible providence, was able to fly back and forth. And I was also talking on the phone to priests in Australia and Africa and Europe. And literally, unbeknownst to you, we talked yesterday about jargon. We talked about propaganda. We talked about rhetoric. Literally, in Nairobi, Kenya, was the exact, the journalist on the TV screen was saying the exact same thing you heard on Philadelphia News. What were those sentences? Stuff like, and then I heard the same thing in French, and then I got off the airplane in Texas and heard the same thing from channel, channel SAT in San Antonio. It was like, wow, that is how controlled is the media. The horns, you know, the word in scripture is a horn, like a, you know, and um, that's what the media, I think there's only maybe four families that own all of the, basically all of the media. I've heard four and five, you know. Um, but so it's super easy for them to control the narrative. Super. There's nothing easier. They just send out the text, you know. Mm -hmm. So every journalist was saying, things will not be the same. This is the new normal. Remember that? Things will not be the same as they were before. This is the new normal. They said, it's exactly the same thing. They were saying the same thing in French. Same thing in, I called Father Vincent in, in, in Uganda. What, what are they saying? Apparently, he, well, he was actually in Nairobi at that point. He said Kenya was, you know, went super military. They were actually shooting people who didn't obey. They were like killing people. You know, incredible. I mean, just so, you know, yes, this, this, it is possible for all of this process to be highly controlled. And yes, there is a need for us to be removed for, you know, God's remnant. Um, I'll probably end this little sequence from a beautiful, a beautiful um, quote that comes from Cardinal Robert Sarah, who I have translated for twice. He's just, a, these prelates, I, I want to set the record straight because we can get, get kind of scared. You know, Father can attest to this because he's lived in Rome and, and I've just been there a bit. But um, these these souls that are not, you know, we've got some rotten eggs out there in all over the place, everywhere in all levels of the world. But somebody like Cardinal Sarah, when you're in his presence, the presence of Christ is so strong. I just, the anointing, I just makes me cry thinking of him standing in the same room with him. Same thing with Cardinal Burke, the gentleness in these men. That if you've been around a Cardinal, a holy one, their presence is so gentle and so meek. And so there's a sweetness about them. There's almost, you feel that Eucharistic heart. There's Their, their hearts are open, but wounded. You know, we talked yesterday about vulnera, being vulnerable is a wound. Because they have Christ's wound. They're walking around with open hearts. It's incredible. The wisdom that comes out, the gentleness that comes out. It's Their presence is is. We have some very beautiful, holy, holy people 
still inside the church who suffer because they see everything and they come to these meetings and it's, it's amazing. But Cardinal Sarah wrote, um, wrote this. He says, I would like to point out that everything is prepared for a renewal. It's Cardinal Sarah in an interview um, that was given, it's been translated in English. And I think it's, I think the title in English is the, the day is drawing to a close or the night is near, the, the day is not far spent. So he, he has a really good book on silence also that he wrote, Cardinal Sarah. I really recommend that one maybe for Lent. It's good, you know, to go into that silence, Cardinal Sarah's book. Um, but otherwise this one that we, that I'm quoting from right now, I would like to point out, you talk about these guys are prophetic, you know, they, they're walking around with Christ in their minds, you know. I would like to point out that everything is prepared for a renewal. Okay, it's all prepared. I see families, monasteries. I see families, monasteries, and parishes that are like oases in the middle of a desert. It is from these oases. We've been using the word refuge a lot, but oasis probably is a better one. You know, probably. It is from these oases of faith, liturgy, beauty, and silence that the West will be reborn. Here we go. I'm not finished. Actually, I need to open my window bigger so I don't struggle. The Christian virtues are the faith blossoming in all the human faculties. Well, that's a pretty big sentence. The Christian virtues are the faith blossoming in all the human faculties. They mark the way for a happy life in harmony with God. We must create places where they can flourish. I call upon Christians to open oases of freedom in the midst, in the midst, the desert of the desert created by ramping, rampant profiteering. He resets. Sorry, I stumbled over that one. I call upon Christians to open oases of freedom in the midst of the desert created by rampant profiteering. We must create places where the air is breathable or simply where the Christian life is possible. Our communities must put God in the center. Amidst the avalanche of lies, we must be able to find places where truth is not only explained, but experienced. In a word, we must live the gospel, not merely thinking about it as a utopia, but living it in a concrete way. The faith is like a fire. We talked about a lot, that fire a lot last night. The faith is, a lot, is like a fire but it has to be burning in order to be transmitted to others. Watch over this sacred fire. Let it be your warmth in the heart of this winter of the West. You know, as we said yesterday, as goes America, so goes the world. If God is for us, who is against us? Romans 8, 31. In the disaster, confusion, and darkness of our world, we find the light that shines in the darkness. It's the prologue of St. John. He who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
which comes from John 14, and that is from the day is far spent by Cardinal Robert Sarah. And so with that, let's take a little a little wee break, maybe. What time is it? It's 11.35. How do we organize this? What do you think? 11.45 and then mass at 12.30. So do you want me to keep going until, or should we, what do, what do you think? Because it's too late for you. Do you want to stand up? Oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll start back up before 11.45. Mm -hmm. Oh, you okay? Oh, that hurt. Oh, okay. Why? I <laughs> February or something. And for us to take this time um, as if it were our last Lenten journey, where am I clinging to these four pillars? And then secondly, the, the corollary is in my prayer life, am I focusing on what God is reconstructing? In my area of specialization as a physician and as an educator, as whatever field you're in, as a parish secretary, I don't know, wherever you are doing, um, ask, consult the Holy Spirit. Lord, show me what your blueprint looks like for the restoration in my field that you have trained me in, in my area of expertise, in my talent set, in my skills. And start to pray for those gifts and that wisdom we talked about yesterday. You know, come up into the throne room instead of in our prayer life, just sitting and looking what is on the earthly dimension or hearing about the atmospheric battles between the angels and demons. Come up into the third heaven, as Paul calls it. Sit in the throne room at adoration. Close your eyes in silence and turn your face to the Father and, and, and say, Lord, bring me in into your throne room, into your presence and teach me. Teach me, you know, and, and let us just sit with him and let him show you his blueprint for what your mission is. Um, it is about identity. I We spoke yesterday. I think we were talking about how everything does start in identity. Are we clear who we are? I once was inspired to, to do an incredible meditation that is a, another wonderful gift, one of the greatest I ever had because it really helped me, helped me to understand who I was or who I am is I went over just one question at a time. I broke down the blessed Trinity into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I said, Father, who am I to you? Just sit with that as long until he answers. He'll answer you, I promise. Father, who am I for you? Number two, when you get your answer, you'll be unpacking it for the rest of your life. But he'll probably just give you a word, you know. And I, in my case, I'll just say it, just why not? In my absolute simplicity, he said, you are my warrior. Then about a week or so or time later, I happened to be on a retreat. And, and, and so it came relatively in sequence. And I said, Jesus, son of God, who am I to you? And the answer was, you are my light. My name's Lucy. That made sense, but it took me years. I'm still trying to understand what is, what is a warrior? What is, you know, and what are the arms? Well, it's love. You know, I was thinking warrior. I was thinking all different kinds, but warrior can mean all sorts of things. 
And then light, what is, you're my light. And then I turned to the Holy Ghost and said, Holy Spirit, who, who am I to you? And he said, you're my lamb. Well, we all know about lambs. When I was little, my mother called me Lucy Lamb. And of course, I never told her about this revelation that I had about being a lamb. And wow, I know, you know, what lambs are. Well, they get sacrificed. You know, that's what happens to lambs. And lambs are meant to be pure. And this whole lamb thing, and that we're lambs in our families. You may be your family lamb. You may be the one that stands in the gap in all of your generations on both sides of your family. You may be the only member in your family who's a believer. And that's my case. I married into a, a faithless family. Didn't know that, but I did. And then I'm certainly born in a, in a faithless family. And I'm definitely the Lone Ranger out there and just the lamb running around in, you know, in the yard. And, but, you know, it's fantastic that we get to be together in the fold here. Every once in a while, we gather in fellowship with other lambs and can talk about lamb stories and together. And it's, it's amazing, but being a lamb is, is an incredible thing, but take time you know, and make sure that our identity is we're standing in the truth also on who, who am I? Who actually fully, truly, you know, is father, who am I or Jesus? Who am I? And Holy spirit, who am I? You'll be stunned at the words of knowledge that come in. You may get images. You may get a word. Just sit with it. Take your time. Just listen. Just <laughs> at the labor's <laughs> We can see them out. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so fine. Oh, the Lamberts. That's so great. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So, so this, this witnessing to truth where our hope is purified. So yesterday in terms for those who weren't here, um, we talked about second Thessalonians two is where Paul says that God himself will send a deceiving spirit in order to test, to purify, to test our love of the truth. We spoke yesterday about the difference between friendship, which is service. It's, it's manifests in service, whereas love manifests in sacrifice. So that the, the Greek meaning of to witness is to actually be martyred for the truth. And then when in John 18 was the second scripture that dovetails with 2 Thessalonians 2, in which our Lord declares, I came to this earth to witness to be martyred for the truth. So yes, truth is a process very much like a funnel. It is like the birth canal. It's wide to narrow. And in that process of, of this birthing, um, before that process begins, the woman naturally we conceive nine months of pregnancy. And then there comes this mysterious moment in the fullness of time when one's waters, when the seals, the uterine seals break. And you lose your waters, the breaking of the waters, the breaking of the seals, same thing in Revelation, and begins this mysterious process of contractions called labor. And if we were to imagine what those contractions look like on a global scale, we as Catholics and intercessors and prayer warriors are indeed midwiving a spiritual birth in our intercessory prayer. And we are meant to look at these contractions that have been going on. You know, St. Paul speaks very actively about this birthing metaphor. I think organically it's absolutely the best 
Um, there is, because the whole point to birth is new life. That's the whole point. You're birthing a new life that you can't wait to see the face of that child. But as we have from our heritage in Genesis, we know that birthing is in pain. That is organic. The contractions hurt. But there is nothing more indispensable than contractions because the same contractions are precisely what opens the cervix, the doorway, so the baby can actually be born. If there weren't contractions, the uterine muscle is not going to open the cervix. And if the cervix is closed, the baby can't leave the womb and then go into the birth canal. So it's all about perspective. How do I look upon contractions? Do they terrify me? Am I just rigid against them? Am I in disbelief that I'm actually in labor? You know, we can respond in a million ways. But in God's justice, if these contractions are the signs of God's justice, which one more time I'll remind you, war, famine, natural disaster, and plague are the contractions. They are the contractions. They're not other ones. They're very specific. What is going to be new is those contractions will be synchronicity, like we had with COVID. There's never been an, another event where there was absolute simultaneity of timing, synchronicity, um, of this these contractions. We'll, I assume, hear about it, but try to imagine how you will, will respond when you hear and feel and sense and see all four of those at once maybe in a sequence, but they're not just going to be in, you know, somewhere in Africa or Asia or Afghanistan. They'll be even here as well. Seismic activity, um, tsunamis. We're already seeing it weather. I mean, I'm experiencing wild weather. But who is the author of weather, who controls the atmosphere. Again, I remind you for the special, for those not here yesterday, we haven't, we just have in the word, we have a beautiful prayer. Daniel chapter three, the canticle in the fiery furnace in which we bless all of the elemental powers. Bless the Lord, praise and exalt him. Oh, you wind and hail, you know, snow and ice, bless the Lord. Springs and rivers, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. It's a litany of blessings of all of God's creation. Plants, animals, birds, just work with that, you know, like St. Francis would. You know, as intercessors, that's our, that is, we are midwiving. We're, we're the ones here on deck helping this baby to be born. We are to praise the Lord for all of these events he is you know remember elijah you know wait, looking for him in the earthquake and in the fire and and then he came in that in that gentle breeze you know god is all of that he's very paradoxical in his presence he can be extraordinarily powerful and then render himself absolutely practically invisible in a teeny particle of the blessed sacrament you know saint thomas just wow in his multiple canticles that he wrote Pure, just like Paul, just absolute 100% revelation. I've had this conversation with many Dominican theologians, enough to have a conviction. 
St. Thomas Aquinas, father speaks of him all the time and for due reason, is, is absolutely product of personal revelation. The man sat by candlelight in a little teeny secretary, small little desk in, was it 13th century, 14th? I think he's in the 1200s, 1300s. I'm not great at dates. Um, at candlelight with a little monstrance. And he would sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament and just weep and weep and weep. And then he would write and write and write and write. Of course he read the Father. Of course he was educated. But the Summa is is about revelation. You know, it's about it's about that conversation of relationship of adoring our Lord, you know, in his word and in his the blessed sacrament. And so, you know, it's very important for us to be to be completely rooted in in the word and understand that we're going into this funnel and it's indispensable for us to hear from the Holy Spirit ourselves. Should I be reading prophecy? I don't see I don't see the point. You should be reading scripture. You know, if you want to read prophecy, you can, but read the prophetic books. That's all the information you need. You don't need another book. You don't need to buy any more books. Just read the Bible. And, and then do just like on the road to Emmaus, sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament and let the Lord crack it open for you. Let him, let him open up and fraction that bread right there. You know, the bread is the word. And let, let him reveal it to you. He, he's more than thrilled to you. That's all he wants is to reveal himself to you. You know, we are Moses in the, in the tent of meeting. And, you know, go to the Blessed Sacrament with a, with a notebook and a pen and a Bible. You know, don't go and sit. I, I see in adoration chapels all over the place, people sitting with the book they just ordered off of Ignatius Press or whatever. It's great. Spiritual reading is fantastic. you got to do it. But not in front of the Blessed Sacrament. If you're going to read, and you should, read him. Let him speak to you in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, not some theologian. You know, he he's the word. So if you're going to read, it needs to be sacred scripture and not all your hour of your holy hour, but part of it, you know, let him inspire you of just, you can open the Bible randomly or sit with him and, and he'll whisper. And you might go and open the book of Revelation to 11. You just, you know, that you might have a sense that you should read Psalm 91 and just open it, let him open up that word and, and reveal himself in this work called Lexio Divina, because for us, that is our cloud by day. That pillar of cloud is going to be the word, whereas the pillar of fire is going to be mental prayer. Yesterday, we talked about the two, those two pillars for our prayer life, Lexio Divina and mental prayer. Think of Lexio Divina as your cloud by day that you're going to follow. Just think of God's word, the written word as a cloud of revelation, a pillar of cloud. And then think of in the nighttime, in that darkness, that revelation that is wisdom, that is going to be the pillar of fire that, that all the great saints wrote about and spoke of. And that will guide our pathway in the darkness. And that is going to be you face to face with your father in prayer um, as, as often and in, in all day long, you know, but certainly take that mental time, the time for the mental prayer, also known as prayer from the heart. Um, it's the same, it's one and the same thing. And um, the reference that I was giving um, yesterday was someone named Joseph Simler, S-I-M-L-E-R, on uh, what he wrote on prayer, mental prayer. Um, another reference that's very, very well known, very helpful. A lot of people use Ligiori, St. Alphonse Ligiori's mental prayer, you know, method. But if you don't know what um, Lexio Divina is, 
you know, I can help you find the resources, but it must be practiced by all of us. You need to be hearing straight from God's word yourself. You don't need to be reading somebody else's prophecy. You need to hear from the Lord. He desires to speak to you. He's desperate, I would even say. Speak to us. Full on. You know, Father, you know, Cardinal Sarah wrote that in about the silence. You know, there's so much noise going on. To go into that silence and just crack open the word, let the Lord reveal himself in it. Lexio Divina. And then the second pillar of the fire is that mental prayer where you will have that, receive that wisdom and that understanding and the presence of the spirit in, in a fiery love, a passionate love that's going to purify you. It, it is like a fire. I understand why Catherine of Siena writes that. You know, I, I know in my own physical body, I'm probably red right now. I get, I get really hot sometimes. And that's like, what temperature am I doing? And, you know, it's God's, and all I can do is cry. I just cry and cry. It's this gift of tears. I'm so grateful for it. You know, to cool things off a little bit. Because <laughs> he is in the fire. He is a consuming fire. Ezekiel tells us that. That's what's on the throne of God. You know, we, we know about that fire. And he's in the Eucharist. He is on fire. He can't wait to cast the fire. The flame of love. You all are very familiar with that. So when we enter into this, 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 this funnel of truth prior to it, we have this, these labor contractions. We can imagine what they look through or look like in the four modes of justice that I spoke of. But what's going to be radical for us, it'll be simultaneous. It's going to be global, worldwide, these things are happening. When the waters break. But first, before labor begins, there's the fullness of time and the waters break, the seals break. What will be the breaking of the seals? Revelation 18, the millstone, when the angel drops that millstone into the ocean of commerce, that is the break, the event that we will, you won't miss it, I promise. <laughs> It'll be worldwide and it will be this economic collapse. It'll be the fall of battle. That uh, it'll be set off by war. It'll be set off by a whole sequence of events. What will set it off? I don't know. Klaus Schwab thinks he'll push a button and it'll happen. And his reset will just sort of happen. But God the Father is in control of the wind. Mr. Schwab is not. And all those Masons think that they may control the timing of it. But, you know, yet another delusion. God the Father will control in the fullness of time when he is ready to let the millstone fall. He will let the millstone fall because he's the one that directs the angel that holds it. And, and when that millstone falls onto the sea of commerce, it will crash. And nothing, no one can do, just like the woman in labor can stop it. It will be a just a computer glitch. I have no idea what will cause it, but it will be a spontaneous, unstoppable series of events in which the world's markets, all the computers, all of that mess, all of the currencies will just collapse. And I promise you, you won't miss the event. It'll be, you know, huge. And this is when we step up, you know, that's what, the moment when a lot of women, I know I was certainly very much a chicken and I was off to the hospital, contrary to my extraordinarily brave sister here in this room and perhaps others who've birthed at home. But as soon as my water broke, whoo, I was my bag was packed and I was in the hospital. <laughs> and I'm highly ashamed to say I was getting an epidural within practically no time. Um, I mean, wow. You know, anyway. Um, so when that event happens, the waters break and the seals break, you won't miss it. And it is time for us to be step into our uh, birthing shoes and to be midwives. Yes, including you men. 
will be midwiving. What does that mean in a mystical birth that is of a cosmic level and a global universal scale? Well, I don't know about any of you all who went to, maybe you had some kind of birthing classes to teach you how to prepare for this. Um, I had some in France. And back in the ancient days, for people like my age, it was things called Lamaze. And it was kind of really all about three, three ideas. Breathe, relax, and trust. Breathe, relax, and trust. So for us as Catholics and as midwives, spiritual, it is spiritual maternity and spiritual paternity in helping this baby to be born, this mystical incarnation, as Conchita calls it. Breathing. Who is the breath of God? What's the Holy Spirit? If I'm going to fully oxygenate this spiritual birth and put the air, the breath of God into it, then I need to know the breath himself, Holy Spirit. What's my relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do I praise him? Have I ever read the Vini Creator? Read the lyrics? I have. I can get the contours of his identity a little bit from the Vini Creator. There's another canticle. There's really mean those two principal hymns of the church. The Vini Sancti Spiritus of the Holy Spirit. Got lyrics. Highly, totally inspired. Read them. Take time, meditate over everyone. Every one of those descriptions that is in the Vini Creator and the Vini Sancti Spiritus, to read through those lyrics in English. That's a whole other activity that somebody may want to do over lit. You know, just consecrate your time to getting to know the Holy Spirit. How else can I know the Holy Spirit? Well, there's the Creed of Nice Constantinople. It's actually the longest part of the entire creed speaks of who? The Holy Spirit who is God, giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Son is adored, worshipped, and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. I got four clues right there, really important ones. In addition to the many creator of many sancti spiritus. In the tradition of the church, you can probably Google saints or, or speak to your spiritual director or a priest or, you know, who are the greatest saints maybe that received massive revelation concerning specifically the Holy Ghost? Conchita Cabrera de Armida from Mexico. Lived in the early 1900s, late 1800s, turn of the century. Saint Seraphim of Sarov. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, S-A-R-O-V. Extraordinary. Little book, Saint Seraphim, like a holy seraphim. Saint Seraphim of Sarov. Fantastic resource for the Holy Spirit. Um, a saint that was canonized, I think, by B-16. Um, Miriam, the little Arab, the little Palestine. She was in the Carmel first in Po, France, and then opened the Carmel in Jerusalem. Um, oh, what is her name? Religion. Father, can you can you help me? Uh, Miriam, the little Arab from Palestine. Uh, oh, what was her name in religion? Miriam of the cross, maybe? Miriam of Jesus crucified? But she was uh, canonized not too, too long ago. And she received massive revelations very specifically about the Holy Spirit. Um, Sister Mary Peter of St. Of Peter, who was in the Carmelite and Tour. The Carmelite and Tour. Um, she has a whole book. Mary of St. Peter. Um, we owe the Golden Arrow Prayer to her. That's just one 
she received, you could buy her book in English. It's been translated. It was just one of the prayers she received was a prayer of reparation called the golden arrow. But she had lots and lots of revelation. Um, I'm trying to think there's another one that uh, I'm losing right now. Okay. Miriam, the little Arab, Conchita, St. Seraphim, Mary, Mary of St. Peter. Um, there's another, it's interesting about Mexico and the Holy Spirit, but there's a bishop in Mexico. I'll have to research it for you and maybe give it to you later that wrote an incredible treatise on the Holy Spirit. But, you know, just look at the saints of the church, the doctors, uh, St. Ephraim. I'm just trying to think there's, you know, there's specific saints that have received very focused knowledge and understanding about the Holy Spirit. So get to know who is the breath of God. Invoke him. Speak to him. We, we, he's just the great neglected person of the Blessed Trinity. It's incredible. Uh, Psalm 42 describes this amazing, you know, deer longing and is, is longing and thirsting for these waters along this river. It's a beautiful image, Psalm 42. But a deer is, if you've ever been around a deer, or like a lot of wildlife, but especially deer, they're some of the most sensitive creatures that there are. Any brusque shout or a movement, they'll be hightailing out of it. They're very sensitive to, 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 to sound and anything rough, and harsh. So is the Holy Spirit. You know, and we have these metaphors in iconography and, and, and scripture. Holy Spirit as fire. Holy Spirit as oil. Holy Spirit as water. Holy Spirit as breeze, wind. So let us spend time getting to know and mastering this breath. Let us praise the breath of God. Because if we're going to be good midwives, that's what we need to be either praying over our brothers and sisters. I'm speaking in your intercessory prayer, not literally with them. But as we pray for humanity and you're aware of the waters have broken, the contractions are happening. It's intense. Pray the Holy Spirit's pray Psalm 91, you know, go into the Psalms. Lots of there's so many beautiful inspirations for us to become to develop our friendship, our intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's extraordinarily important. You know, Holy Spirit, breathe. Uh, there's a beautiful prayer that was given Our Lady of All Nations in um, Ida Peter, Peterman that's coming back. The Holy Spirit himself has brought it back out to the surface of the church. You know, take note of these things. It's popping up all over the place. Our Lady of All Nations, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, send forth your spirit over the face of the earth. Let the Holy Spirit live in the hearts of all nations, in the hearts of all nations, that they may be preserved from degeneration, disaster, and war. May the Lady of all nations, the Blessed Virgin Mary, be our advocate, mediatrix, and co-redemptrix. Oof, that prayer is, that's, that's a midwife's prayer right there. The prayer to Our Lady of all nations. If you don't know it, memorize it. It's super important. As a midwife, we need to know that prayer. Because you're asking the Holy Spirit to hover over all of the nations. You know, as they're in the distress, just like somebody in labor, what is the first thing a midwife's going to say? Breathe. Breathe. Because what does the largest muscle in the human body, sorry guys, it's the uterus. You don't have that muscle, we have it. And we have to learn how to work with all muscles. If you've been in any athletics at all, first thing you know about a muscle is it loves, it consumes oxygen. 
It wants air. That's what makes a muscle work well, is air. And that breath of God is the air that we breathe, that we really need. Same thing right now. You've noticed how the air we breathe is getting polluted. We've all these calm trails we were talking about with somebody. You know, before you go outside, invoke the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, cover every breath that I take. That nothing impure or ungodly is going to come into my lungs. Lord, breathe over me. You know, speak to the breath. Speak to the breath and, and really develop your friendship with the, the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of, of God. Next thing the midwife is going to say is relax. Try your very best to relax. I still hear the midwives in French, détendez-vous, détendez-vous. Take that tension away, détendez-vous, relax. We are meant as Christians and as Catholics to learn. We don't do yoga. Do you know that in Sanskrit, yoga means yoking? It's actually body prayers. Every one of those yoga postures is a different prayer to a different ancient demon. Every exorcist I know has told me that a lot of people that have practiced yoga for a really long time are so yoked, they actually need exorcism. Wow. Wow. Kids are being taught yoga in schools. Wow. So this relaxing, what is it? It's about prayer. It's about prayer. You think about, you know, that's, that's supposed to be the principal fruit of this union is that we, you know, you think about the beginning of a rosary, the state you may be in, or a divine mercy chaplet, or whatever prayer you're practicing. Normally, you're, you're not in the same place when you finish. Normally, there's some peace that's come over for you, even in physically, you know, you're not tense like you were 15 minutes ago. I mean, I have so many examples in my life that I've turned to that prayer in order to regain the shalom, that state of peace, which for a midwife is going to be relaxed because everyone knows that the more tense you are, the more it's going to hurt. My son, who's 24, and he loves cars and speeding around and all of this. And somewhere he learned on the Internet about how important if you're about to have an impact like a car accident because he's watched these Formula One race drivers and so forth. And that's like the main thing you're trying to do is just stay really relaxed behind the wheel. Because if they happen to have an impact, they're toast. They'll, have, they'll break bones and muscles and everything. Well, the exact same is we've got to learn to relax. Well, all of my neighbors who don't know how to pray or don't pray or all of the whole world, that is my job as an intercessor is to pray for them. That's what intercessors do. That's what we do is we pray for people. It's the communion of saints. And then we don't pray in our little corner. We're in the communion of saints and we're calling on all the saints in heaven and all the holy angels. And we're praying in an enormous system so that people can pray and maybe be inspired to pray. But my job is to pray for them and pray in their stead. That's, you know, that's, what, that's what we do. That's what intercession is. And so, yes, as a midwife, birthing this universal kingdom, um, my responsibility is, is to intercede for others in front of the Blessed Sacrament, at Mass, and just in my chair, in my general prayer life. Of course, I'm going to pray for my, my first circle, my, my, those in the territory of souls that are around me, you know, in my own homestead, in my own life, and in my family, perhaps in my work. You know, it's called the territory of souls. Of course, you pray for all of those as you intercede that they would receive. What is prayer? Hey, it's a grace. Who's the mediatrix of grace? Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, she came to 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 um, 
to the Miraculous Medal to the Catherine Labore and, and came to her standing there with her hands with these jewels on her on her fingers. And and she had this sorrowful look, and Catherine Labore says, Mother, why are you so sad about it? She said, Look, look at these graces just radiating from her fingers. No one's asking for them. They're wasted. Just wasted. You know, so our job in our intercession is poor. Lord, I have a sentence. I, I, my, one of my phrases, Lord, empty the storehouse of grace. Blessed Mother prayed. You know, I have two ways of going about my global world prayer. I either do it by geography. I love geography. So I'll kind of picture and I'll pray over all of South America or all of the Americas. And then I'll go over to the Pacific. You know, I'll kind of go around the world or I'll focus if I know something particularly tough is happening in Africa, I'll focus on Africa or the Middle East. You know, you can do it by continent. You can do it by nation. You could do it by um, work, work group. For years and years, I was praying for truck drivers. And then I started to think, well, yeah, they're the ones that are keeping all of this whole, they're move, making all this commerce move, you know, with, without these, you may pray just for physicians, pray just for military. Then you may pray for clergy. Just go where the Holy Spirit takes you. Don't worry about it. Be free. He'll inspire you exactly who you're supposed to pray for. Are you supposed to pray for everyone? No. Whoever, whatever, stay in your lane. You know, where, as, as they say, you know, pray where the Holy Spirit inspired you. But we need to ask him, Holy Spirit, to tell me who, who are my prayer people? You know, who am I assigned to? Because we're not, a, you know, I have a very specific assignment and a way of praying as an intercessor. But I'm praying for those graces Lord, blessed mother, sin, you know, your mediatrix, pour the grace over Argentina. I've been praying a lot for Mexico because they're going to have some bad earthquakes. You know, Mexico is, is really, God loves Mexico. And Mexico has a very beautiful predestined role. And so as a result, she's going to get really purified, just like France is. And, you know, you just follow where the inspirations of the Holy Spirit takes you in your, in your adoration and in your prayer where he's asking you to intercede. You'll, you'll know, and you'll be praying for the breath of God to come over. You'll be praying for the Holy Spirit to overshadow that space or that work field or the school teachers or whoever you're praying for. And the same for the prayer, graces of prayer, that they would be inspired to turn to you, Lord, that they would pray. You send your guardian angel, and you know, Padre Pio was so, 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 so strong about that. Let your guardian angel who suspends time and space, who doesn't have a body, in a split nanosecond, he is, please speak to the guardian angel of Joe Biden. Please speak to and inspire him to pray. Inspire him to golly decisions. You know that Congress is voting uh, XYZ at a particular week or a day because we can find these things out. You know, send your guardian angel to invoke the Holy Spirit. This, this is really... This is what intercessory prayer is supposed to be like. And that's what we're as, as midwives, our job is. And so the last thing that a, a midwife is going to say, in addition to breathe deeply, ma'am, and relax. For us, that means prayer. And the third is trusting. If you are fearful and do not trust your medical team, you don't trust your, your, your midwife, you don't trust your, your hospital, you don't trust the people around you, I can promise you, you will not have an easy birth. If you are fearful and untrusting, paranoid, 
um, of whoever is in this, you know, supporting you in your birthing process. Well, there's a lot of fear out there right now, a lot of zero confidence. Trust in who? Trust where? Who can I trust? Well, it's certainly nothing in the world. And of all things, our Lord came to someone in Poland in the 1930s and gave him her, St. Faustina Kowalski, gave her Kowalska, gave her not only an image, but this is the only time I've ever heard in all of anything, in iconography, in church history, artists. I've never heard of the Lord accompanying an icon with a sentence. Oh, he did. Boy, he, he was adamant that underneath, at the bottom of the image, would be the words in Polish, Jezu, Jesus, Ufam Tobie, I trust you. Wow, that's the midwife's recipe. So who's praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Who knows? Think of all our Protestant brothers and sisters that have never heard of the DMC, never heard Divine Mercy Hour, don't know about the Novena, don't know about 3 p.m. We do. We have no excuse. We have a canonized saint and we have a, a pope that literally said, it's the work of my life. He considered it the most important thing he did was divine mercy. It's that important. If you don't know the divine mercy chaplet and you don't practice it and you don't have an icon of Jesus, I trust in your home, please, please get one. Please learn what it is because that is the only trust we can have is in God. And that is, you know, Golly, you know, our founding fathers, we put, even put it on the money. In God we trust, you know. Um, I love Texas because the sheriffs have it written on the back of their cars. In God we trust. They literally have the emblem on almost all the sheriffs you'll see in Texas have in God we trust. So it's okay, some godly sheriffs. That's good. So, you know, think about that and, and, and sharing your trust and trusting in God um, um, so that we can share that, spread it around with all of your Protestants, those who are Catholics and who might be amenable to have you ever heard about. Has nothing to do with the Blessed Virgin Mary, so they won't have their allergy. You know, this is not a traditional rosary. So, you, yes, you can take it and bring it into the world and go in. There's a specific, even some meditations. There's a pamphlet you can order from Stockbridge that's very specific, Divine Mercy. There's the Divine Mercy, you know, I, I order cases of them, a thousand at a time. They're not expensive, but there's a couple. There's ones that, there's brochures that they print up in Stockbridge that are the Divine Mercy Chaplet, how to, describes the history of it, where it came from, when, how to pray it, and so forth. And then that's one pamphlet. And then another is praying with the sick and dying. Because Jesus said, and I will end with this before we have our Mass, Jesus told St. Faustina in so many words that this is a Passover prayer. It's that transferring, that moving from one to the other, one place to another. It is a Passover prayer. It's a perfect prayer that is meant for when we soul passes from life, life, death to fullness of life. It is the prayer par excellence that God has given us is the Divine Mercy Chaplet to pray people through the veil into the next life. So when you're with somebody, I've, I've had the honor of praying with people in hospital. If you have a hospital ministry or hospital vocation, 
pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet with them. It is the Lord gave it especially for passing over situations. You have a storm, a violent storm passing over your house. Pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Anything that is passing over, um, like storms, like hurricanes, um, like someone who's passing away, um, any situation that is like a Passover. You remember the angel of death, you know, you go back to Exodus and remember what that was and the blood, the angel of death passed over the houses, right? And so that is a very, very essential for us. Jesus, I trust in you and to learn that chaplet and to share it because we really, really can share it. But yes, yet again, we're intercessors praying that for any people, place, situation, you know, that is in great distress of childbirth. There's there's a drama happening, a trauma happening. Divine Mercy Chapel, Divine Mercy Chapel. So those are the three responsibilities as midwives that we have. It's just, it's just a fact. From here on out, breathing, relaxing, and trusting. The graces of prayer, the graces of knowing the Holy Spirit, invoking the Holy Spirit, standing just like Moses, standing in the gap. That's what intercessors do. We're all intercessors, priest, prophet, and king. Remember, that's what we do. A priest offers sacrifice. You can do that too. That's your that's your baptismal priestly ministries. You offer sacrifice. That's what priests do. Prophets do what? They stand in the gap. You're all prophets. That's what intercessory prayer is. You stand in the gap between the world and the kingdom. And you pray for. You stand in their stead. And king is taking authority. That's what, that's what kings do. They're sovereign. They reign. It's taking authority over situations. And that's a subject that I am not expert in, but all I know is the Lord is, it's high time for us to take authority and, and you know, on situations that we, in our territory, where we have authority to do, and the only authority there is, there's authority that comes through a sacrament. Michael has authority as the bishop of his household over his children, and as the sacrament, he has authority over his wife. That's a fact. He, he's a king in his household. We have authority over by the power of the blood. We have authority over our children. You have the authority to consecrate your children because by the blood, they are yours, right? So we, we have authority. We exercise authority only on two pillars, sacramental or bloodline. That's what our authority rests on in the name of the Lord, you know, as baptized Christians. So anyway, that's that that domain is is reserved, but priest, prophet, and king, and that's what we are, and we need to believe it and practice it, and be good midwives because we have a lot of responsibility. You know, too much too much is is expected of those who you know, on Catholics. It's we're it on Earth, you know, and we got a lot of responsibility, especially as we enter the birth canal and this birthing process, and um, nobody else is going to do it if we don't stand up. Who will? And it's certainly more fun and joyful to do it as a group. But we should be doing this. We can do this all day long. You can drive somewhere from, you know, we can pray all the time. Paul says pray constantly. You know, so we'll talk about that in a little while, how to do that, the five abodes. And it's mass time, right? I hope I haven't made it too late. No. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. A world without end. Jesus, I trust you. Yes. Oh, 36.